0: Good morning! Good, y'all are awake. That's awesome. Well, I just want to take this, uh, just a little bit of time to say I am so excited to have this opportunity uh, to speak with you this morning. This is my first time uh, being up here by myself. I've kind of tag-teamed before to to help with the nerves to kind of ease you in. And then you you realize that they do that for you once or twice, and then they just drop you. Um, so, so here I am, um, but no, I'm I'm excited, guys. I'll be honest with you, I am a little bit nervous. I can see looking at some of your faces, you might be a little bit nervous too. It's going to be okay. It's we're we're going to have a great time this morning. And uh, just in case you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Jake Black, and I have been the student pastor here for the last three years. Uh, I volunteer with the students for probably 5 or 6 years I've been a part of the worship team for for several years and and hopefully you've seen me around but just to just to let you know a little bit about me I love students I love students. I love your students and you might be sitting there thinking like how you know but but they're awesome They are awesome. I love getting to spend time with them. Uh, I love the opportunity to teach them and watch them grow uh, and discover things about God. And probably the most important thing we do at Jaywalkers is uh, build relationships with them. Build relationships with them. Hang out with them. Goof, Goof around with them. Have fun. Feed them. Feed them. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, but, but I love it. I love it. I love getting to spend time with them. Well, because of that, most of my teaching, most of my lessons, and, and I say lessons because you don't say sermons in youth ministry. You just don't. You stay away from it. So uh, most of my lessons have been geared towards teenagers. So what I'm going to need is just a little bit of help from you this morning. Is that Okay. Y'all willing to give me? Awesome, awesome. What's going to happen is I'm going to ask Josh uh, in the back to throw up a few pictures for us, okay, on the screen here. Now, these pictures, these images, uh, they're going to depict or represent a different story from the Bible. All you guys have to do, you don't have to raise your hand, you don't have to stand up right there in your seats. All you have to do is tell me the story. And, And don't worry, you'll know them. Okay, you'll you'll know them. I promise you. So, Josh, if you would go ahead. Whoa, whoa! Too much excitement. Okay, <clears throat> let's, let's 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 have fun for everybody. I'm gonna go one, two, three. Y'all tell me what the story is. Okay, one, two, three. Jonah, man, you guys are awesome. Let's do that next one, Josh. Oh yeah, oh yeah. One, two, three. Moses, boom! I see. I knew y'all look like a smart crowd. I knew it. I knew it. Let's do. Let's do one more. Isn't is my favorite. <clears throat> one, two, three. Noah. Noah, man, you guys are awesome. You guys are awesome. For most of us sitting here this morning, for, for the vast majority of you, these images are what these stories have become. Whether it's through uh, kids' ministry, maybe you, maybe you have a child and you've watched cartoons or, or, or movies, maybe it's vacation Bible school, whatever it is, these images are what come to mind when we think of these particular stories. And, and I, now I want to point out that I think that is 100% awesome. I think it is great. There's nothing wrong with it. Man, when I, when I think of Noah, I see, I see a giraffe, you know, leaning out of the side of the ark. That's what I see. And, and when, I, when I see a picture of a big, giant fish, you know, grinning, kind of weird, you know, but, but grinning, and he's about to swallow up a little man, man, I know that's Jonah. I know that's Jonah. I've seen it before. And, and, and the reason that we know this Is because we know these stories. We know these stories. You guys know these stories. We've heard them over and over and over and over. Sometimes sometimes when we hear these stories, we feel like we know them so well, we kind of phase out. Nothing wrong, but we, we all do it. I do it. But sometimes, you know, uh, sometimes subconsciously, I believe, we we flip a switch and we kind of zone out. Because we know it. We've heard it. I'm going to ask you to not do that this morning. I'm going to ask you to not do that because the story that we're going to look at this morning, I promise, you already know it. You've heard it. You've looked at it before. Probably more than once, probably more than twice. I could just keep going. You know it. I'm going to ask that you please listen to the story this morning and and, and try your hardest to listen like it's the first time you've ever heard it. Because I believe it has a purpose for us. I believe that it could have a great impact on your life. Y'all Ready? Josh, throw up that last picture. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me set the stage for you in this story that we all already know. Our story is found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Two nations, the Israelites and the Philistines, are at war with one another. The Israelites, God's people, have been at war for over 300 years. Years. You say, Jake, why have they been at war for so long? They've been slowly conquering the land that God had promised to them. Slowly taking it over one battle at a time. The Philistines are one of the last nations occupying territory that God had promised to Israel. Our story takes place in the valley of Elah in the lowlands of Judah where the Philistine army has been pressing forward against the Israelites. Now let me tell you a little, little bit about these two armies, okay? The Israelites are the superior army. Hands down. They are the greater army. They are more experienced. They have better strategy. They are God's chosen people. They're God's army. But where we find ourselves in our story is they have camped out on the side of a mountain overlooking the valley and they are in the middle of a military standoff. It's a standstill. And you go, wait Jake, you just just told us that, that they're the superior army, they're the greater army. Why would they be in the middle of a stalemate? Well, let's look, because although the Israelites have the greater army, the opposing nation... The Philistines have what they believe to be a secret weapon. One secret weapon. A single man. Because you see, it was not uncommon in this time period, in order to prevent mass casualties, armies would send forth one soldier. One man, the greatest soldier in all of their nation, he would be their champion. These two champions would fight it out, and the victor would decide the victor of the entire battle. The Philistine's secret weapon was their champion, Goliath. Now let me tell you some stuff about Goliath that you already know. Goliath stood over nine and a half feet tall. He was just a little bit shorter than me. Okay? Yeah, I got my own short joke in there, yeah. huh? <clears throat> Goliath wore a bronze helmet, a bronze coat of mail, and bronze leg armor. He was decked out in the best, most expensive, the, the newest trend armor. His armor alone, it was said to weigh over 150 pounds. He, he was indeed a giant of a man. He was a trained killing machine, to, to be honest with you. He had the size, he had the strength, and he had the attitude. Let, let me sum it up for you. This is, this is how I do it on Wednesday nights or Sunday nights. Goliath was a bad dude. Bad dude. That's what he was. Every morning and every evening, the champion Goliath would break forward from the Philistine ranks. He would walk out into the valley and he would begin to scream and taunt the armies of Israel. The Israelites were terrified of Goliath. They were mortified of him. The humiliation continued every morning and every evening for 40 days. 40 days until one day a man named Jesse sent his youngest son, David. David uh, was sent to the Israelite camp to send food and check in on David's three older brothers fighting against the Philistines, and when David arrived at the camp, The armies of Israel were making their way out to the battlefield. I mean, they were standing toe to toe, face to face with the Philistine forces. David got there, he ran out on the battlefield, he quickly found his brothers, and I imagine he ran up, he started talking to them, you know, hey man, what's up? What's going on? What are y'all doing? And right in the middle of him talking, Goliath came forward. Goliath broke out of the ranks of the Philistine soldiers. And he began his usual taunt at the Israelites. And as soon as they saw Goliath, as soon as those Israelite soldiers saw Goliath, they tucked tail and they ran away. They ran away in fright. And now I want you to try and put yourself in David's shoes. I want us all to try and think the, the, what he was thinking, feel how he was feeling, because I believe this is a pivotal spot in our story. I believe this is the point where David begins to wonder, what have I walked into? I mean, what is going on here? My brothers, I was just talking to my brothers, hadn't seen them in uh, no telling how long, and they just tucked tail and ran away. Why, why is the army of Israel running away From this Philistine? Why is the army of God running away from this Philistine? So David begins to ask some questions. He asked a soldier standing nearby, he said, "Uh, hey man, what's going on? I mean, what's what's happening? I saw that. Did I just did I just hear you say that there's a price out on this Philistine? They they've they've had to make a reward. For him. And, and, and the soldier replied, he said, yeah, man. He said, oh, yeah, there's a big reward. He begins to tell David, I believe, everything, everything that's been going on for the 40 days, how Goliath has been mocking them and taunting them every day and uh, every morning and every night, and how everyone is too scared to even move. Now, let's pause for a second. I believe this is is important to see because I believe it is often overlooked in our story that we all know. I believe the moment that David realizes what Goliath has been allowed to do for 40 days, the moment he realizes that no one has even attempted to stop him, to stop this defiance, I believe David was dumbfounded. Speechless. Could not believe it. Would not believe the things that he was hearing. David could not believe that this Philistine, this giant, had been allowed to walk out every morning and every evening and taunt the armies of Israel. He couldn't believe that everyone had stood by and allowed this defiance of God to happen for 40 days. He could not believe it. I believe David was a little... Tense at this moment. It's a little shook up. And I, just at the right time, just at the right time, in walks David's oldest brother, alive, angry, that little brother is here on the battlefield, angry that he's talking to the Israelite soldiers. And just as Big Brother had done a hundred times growing up, I believe he grabbed David and he looked at him and he said, What are you doing here anyway? Don't you have some sheep you should be taking care of? He gets a little angry. He says, I know. I know what it is. You just wanted to see the battle. That's all you care about. Now, we've all heard of the Hodge translation before. I'm going to give you a little bit of the Jake translation this morning. I believe that David looked directly at his older brother, and I believe he had fire in his eyes, and I believe that he was thinking, What am I doing here? What are you doing here? What are all of you doing here? How have you, how have you been able to stand by and allow this to happen? How have you not done anything? What am I doing here? And you say, you say why, why do you believe that, Jake? Well, because it wasn't long after that that the men around David knew that he wasn't going to sit idly by. I don't know, maybe it was the tone of his voice, maybe it was the look in his eyes, but there was something different about David that let every soldier around him know he wasn't going to stand for it. Once word got around about David, he was quickly taken to King Saul's tent, where Saul attempted to change his mind, attempted to sway his mind, but David wouldn't have it. Once Saul realized that he couldn't change David's mind, he he, he tried to outfit him in his own armor, give him weapons and and, and all these things, but David wouldn't have it because he didn't need it. David refused both and David left Saul's tent and Paul's only for a moment to pick up five smooth stones from a stream. He placed them into his shepherd's bag and he began to walk onto the battlefield armed with only his shepherd's staff and a sling. And he was walking straight towards the Philistine champion. When Goliath noticed David walking onto the battlefield, making his way directly towards him, Goliath became infuriated. He felt insulted that the Israelites had sent a mere boy, a mere teenager, out to fight him. He he felt insulted that the Israelites uh, thought that, that David had a chance of survival. It was impossible. So Goliath began to yell at David, taunting him, cursing David. And as David drew closer, his reply was simple. He said, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin. I come at you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. He said, today the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head." The dead bodies of your men will show the entire world there is a God in Israel. Now you can imagine how Goliath took his reply. As Goliath began to move closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. He pulled a single stone from his shepherd's bag and he placed it in the sling. And I believe running with him with all his might, he took that sling and he began to spin it around, running as fast as he could directly towards the giant. Man, he slung it with everything he had and that, that stone went whizzing through the air at over 100 miles an hour and wham! It hit the guy standing directly behind Goliath, killed him dead as a hammer. We all know what happened. The stone hit Goliath directly in the forehead. One of the few and possibly Goliath's only weak spot. The stone found the chink in Goliath's armor. The Bible reads that it sank into the giant's forehead. He stumbled and fell face down on the ground. Without ever slowing down to notice what had just taken place, I believe David seized his opportunity. He ran directly up to the fallen Philistine. He unsheathed Goliath's own sword. And he stabbed him through the chest. And he killed him. Then with every bit of his strength, David raised the sword high above his head. And just as he had told Goliath, with one fell swoop, he cut off his head. That's our story. However, that's not where our story truly ends. What is too often overlooked in our story is what happens next. If you'll read with me in verse 52. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph. And rushed after the Philistines. Chasing them as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Do you see that? The men of Israel and Judah, the men who were afraid, the men who were terrified, the men who ran at the mere sight of this Philistine champion. These men have changed. Something has gone. Something has happened. I mean, what what has made the difference? One minute these, these men are mortified and immovable. The next minute they are motivated and on the attack. The men who were fearful are now fearless. And all of a sudden they are moving. They are charging. They are chasing down the opposition. What happened? I believe that this is where our lesson is found today. A step of faith changes people. Simple. A step of faith changes people. David's step of faith, David's willingness to step out onto that battlefield believing that God was going to take care of him, that God was going to hand him the victory. And he didn't know how. He didn't know what it was going to look like. He didn't know for certain how it was going to happen. But he knew what needed to be done, and he believed that God would come through for him. David had enough faith that God would be there for him, so he took a step of faith, and it changed the people around him. The soldiers who had been camped there for 40 days found something within themselves they didn't know existed. David's faith grew their faith. David's step allowed them to take a step. And, guys, I'm going to be honest with you this morning that's how it works. That's how it works. Each time we take a step of faith, it changes the people around us. Each faithful action influences the people around us. Why? Because people are watching us. People notice our steps. They are standing back, and when they see it is possible for someone to follow God, it makes it possible for them to follow God. The idea of a full life, a complete life, a God-filled life, will become a reality for someone around you because your step has made it possible. Because your step of faith has made it possible. That's the impact that a step of faith can have in someone's life. And you know what that means for you? And you know what that means for me? It means when we choose... To take a step, people are going to notice. When you choose to trust in God above all else, people are going to see the potential of a life trusting God. And it's going to make it possible for them. When you choose to follow His example and not count the cost, not count the sacrifice, people are going to see that a life of actually following Christ's example is possible. Maybe not everyone around you, but I promise you someone will take notice. When you make the steps of faith in your life apparent, other people are going to take notice and it will change them. You say, how do you know? Jake, how how do you know? It happened to me. It happened to me five, five, six, seven years ago. hasn't been very long. Man, God, God surrounded me with good people. People that cared about me. Godly people. They wanted to see me succeed. They wanted to see me take steps of faith. He surrounded me. I'm talking about people like Tim McCall, uh, Brock Williams, Jonathan Hodge, my parents. People who were good examples that were, were setting the example for me. It would have made sense that any one of these people, man, set me on fire, gave me the motivation I need, uh, needed to, to start making steps, start taking steps of faith. Looking back now, it was kind of an unlikely candidate for me. I'd just began working at a farm and I'd just been introduced to a man named Kyle Levere. And the more time I spent with him, the more time I took notice of the things that he was doing in his own life. You say, you say, was he was he killing giants? Was he falling nine and a half foot tall Philistines? No. But he was taking steps. He was taking steps in his own life. He was building his own personal relationship with Christ. And man, I'll tell you right now, one of the things that he couldn't help but do is talk about it. Couldn't help but talk about it. I couldn't get around Kyle at the farm for more than 30 minutes and we'd be talking about God. We'd be making up a sermon. We'd be doing it. Noticing the steps of faith that he was taking, it changed me. It changed me. It motivated me to begin taking steps of my own. We started talking about God together. We we, we couldn't help it. We started singing all the time. But we were singing praises to Him. The more time I spent with Kyle, the, the, the the more I took notice of those personal steps that he was taking in faith in his own life, the more it motivated me, the more it set me on fire to take personal steps in my own life. It changed me. Kyle didn't meet me and say, I'm going to change this guy's life. And I know that I didn't meet Kyle and say, this this guy's going to have a big impact on me. But it happened. The steps of faith that he took changed me. It impacted me. And guys, what I want you to see this morning, what I want you to understand, is that is the impact your steps of faith can have in someone else's life. That is the power of our steps of faith. When we choose to make those steps, when we choose to take those steps, it will change. It will impact. It will motivate the people around us. That's what I want for you this morning. I ask if you bow your heads i like to pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I am so thankful for this opportunity, Lord, to be up here this morning. God, and I'm thankful for each and every individual that's sitting out in this congregation this morning, God, because I believe that you sent this message for them. I believe it's not a coincidence that anyone is here this morning. God, I don't don't believe that it's a coincidence that you lined, lined up the opportunity for me to be on this platform this morning, God, because you had something that you wanted them to hear. God, steps of faith will change the people around us. God, and I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful this morning that so, however many years ago, Lord, you sent someone in my life that would change me. Someone that would take those steps of faith, uh, somebody that I could notice, that I could be with, that I could spend time with, God, and it would change me. It would motivate me to take steps of faith of my own. God, and as we go back out into our workplace, Lord, into our homes, with our families, with our friends, God, I pray I pray that you would remind us. I pray that you would imprint it on us, God, and that we can remember that when we choose to take the steps of faith that we know we need to, it will change. It will motivate the people around us. It will set the people around us on fire. God, help us to do that. Help us to do that in our own personal lives, Lord. Help us to take steps of faith. Maybe, maybe we're, we're just going to see them in the, in the next week, God. Maybe we've been staring at it for, for several weeks now. We know it needs to be done. God, maybe we weren't ready. Maybe we were fearful. But God, I ask that you take that fear away. And you allow us to take a step. And have an impact on someone in our lives. Someone that is taking notice. Someone that we care about. that you take care of everything.